0: Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome back to College and Kimball, going through the Snyder 2.0 retrospective. We're getting ready to dive into the 2015 season. I am Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Justin Nutter, Alex Speth, and Clint Wilson. Uh, Clint, I do, I would be remiss if I did not mention how infuriated I was with the results of the uh, draft poll. Uh, me going out in the first round, despite having twice as many NFL draft picks on my roster as Tremaine Thompson's, but neither here nor there.
1: Well, I'm going to get my ass kicked by Nick Lecky here in a couple of days in that poll, just because I'm going up against Nick Lecky. Doesn't hurt that he drafted uh, Michael Bishop with his first round pick either.
0: Yeah, yeah. And God, I'm I... <laughs> Goes to show you, man, the youths, the youths on Twitter don't know anything about K-State football pre-2012. So I, I knew I was kind of SOL after that. After I saw the early returns on the poll where I was down like 65, 35 after the first 30 or so, some odd votes. I'm like, yep, I am definitely going to lose this. So neither here nor there. Uh, we're here to talk about the 2015 version of the Snyder Wildcats. Now, before we dive into that, just quickly recap 2014. K-State finishes the year 9-4 following a loss in the Alamo Bowl to UCLA. The Cats were in contention for a Big 12 championship going into the final regular season game against Baylor. They come up short in Waco and end up finishing third in the conference last year. So we look forward, though, to 2015. And uh, before we we look at recruiting and whatnot, I, I did I wanted to put a, a broad question out to you guys. And just looking back at what we've we've known uh, in the Snyder two o era thus far, there's there's been a known commodity on on pretty much every one of these teams, even going back to those first couple squads, in nine and ten, you knew you had. Daniel Thomas, you know, you could rely on your bell cow running back to produce for you. And and he was one of the best rushers in the Big 12 during his time there. You move into 2011, 2012, yeah, obviously the development of Colin Klein, you have Chris Harper, then we see guys Tyler Lockett, Tremaine Thompson. Jake Waters, Curry Sexton. We have all these known commodities, particularly on the offensive side. And we also see that defensively as well after we get past that 2010 season when Arthur Brown comes in. We have Nigel Malone, Bubba Chapman, lots of lots of big names. And you know you have pretty reliable guys and pieces on both sides of the ball. Going into this season, there was a much different feeling to me where I, I kind of looked at our projected depth chart and I just kept asking myself, you know, where are points going to come from? Who's going to make plays? Who's who's the ball going to when it's third down and eight? We need to move the chains. And this is really, you know, we knew at least quarterback wise that Sam's or Waters, we knew we had options there. This is the first year where we really have no major lean in terms of who's going to win that battle. We have Joe Hubner in there. We have Jesse Ertz. He was A slight favorite in most people's minds, but we also have Alex Delton, Jonathan Banks. There's a lot of names in here, but I wanted to ask you guys and I'll I'll start with you. What were your thoughts in terms of what this group had to offer personnel wise? Because I think, as I just said, I I was pretty concerned just where points were going to come from, where plays were going to come from, where playmakers were going to come from.
2: Yeah, um, in an otherwise unknown offseason, I typically kind of default, and I think Alex has mentioned this in previous episodes. Uh, if if we're bringing back a quarterback with starting experience, I typically feel light years better. But the fact that no matter who we were rolling out there, it was going to be a new guy. Um, I'm, I'm always going to be a little uneasy going into the year anyway. Uh, add that to the fact that you're trying to replace two you know, 1000 yard receivers, one of them being, as we discussed, you know, arguably the best receiver this program has ever seen. Definitely lots of cause for concern. And like, I don't think that, you know, it it took several weeks into the year and we were still saying, you know, I don't know who that go-to guy is on on a third and eight, like, you know, like you were saying, you know, like we got to move the sticks, who we go into. I just don't know that we ever truly got an answer this year. And I never really felt confident we were going to find one, especially early.
1: Going into this year, I definitely thought the strength of the team was going to be the offensive line. Uh, we brought back four senior starters, with Cody Whitehair, Boston Stiverson, Luke Hayes, and Mike Klein plus the heralded freshman Dalton Reisner coming in at center. Um, it kind of was up to Jesse Ertz to become the next Colin Klein, running behind that offensive line. Um, you know, if only he didn't have the injury problems.
0: If only, if only, and we'll we'll dive into that here momentarily. Uh, Before we do jump into the 2015 season, though, I'll we'll take a a quick look here at the 2015 recruiting class. And and Clint, uh, you were we were just discussing this leading up into the show here. This is actually a pretty good group, and and I think K State not necessarily shot itself in the in its own foot, but you look back at the previous year where you had landed big names like clink scales, like Derricotte. You also had Travis Green, who was uh, uh, providing big contributions at the safety spot, but ended up getting injured. If you if you. If you, reasonably, if you hit on all those guys and everybody buys in and then you're looking to how those pieces fit into the puzzle this year, you're probably feeling particularly good about the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at some of the big names landed in this class, you probably would have been feeling a whole lot better about trajectory of the program. But nevertheless, 2015, the recruiting class, actually, there are some pretty big names in this group.
1: Yeah, I was very excited about this class. That has actually carried my excitement um, several years later thinking that uh, Snyder should stick around because of this one class and all the guys who I thought were going to be leading us in 2018, 2019. But there was some really good hits in this class. Um, It was a good mixture of players from Kansas like Alex Barnes, Scott France, uh, Denzel Goolsby, Alex Delton. Trey Deshaun was not highly ranked, but he would turn out to be an excellent player. And then some other players from around the country, Duke Shelley, Reggie Walker, Elijah Sullivan, Isaiah Zuber. And then uh, we get a late addition when Jonathan Banks, who turns out to be our highest-rated player in the class, um, had me pretty excited.
0: It looked like a very good group, again, on paper. And I think this is where maybe – I don't want to say that the the fatigue was starting to hit some of the players with the buy-in and, and Snyder and his methods, but it, we we were seeing a lot of guys, a lot of these guys were making it to campus. Like there wasn't an issue with guys getting to campus. It was an issue of once practice starts rolling, once conditioning starts happening, are you going to get that level of investment from the guys? And unfortunately, we we weren't seeing that at, at, at as high of a rate as we needed to uh, for some of those big name recruits to actually Start getting snaps on the field and start uh, playing meaningful downs. So, nevertheless, we'll we'll pivot into the the 2015 season. Uh, K State opens things up with a FCS opponent, South Dakota, coming to uh, Manhattan. Uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium's gotten a little bit of a facelift during the offseason. Uh this is after the veneer complex veneer 2.0 has been completed. Uh there's still that giant gaping hole in the uh, north end zone, which will be sealed up uh, going into uh in the 2016 offseason. But uh, the stadium has this this nice cool new aesthetic to it and everything. And we've got this nice compliment to the West Stadium Center and things open up in a big way with for the Wildcats. Morgan Burns takes the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. And you're feeling pretty good about life in this thing. And then disaster kind of strikes <laughs> very, very quickly on the first offensive uh, play of the season for Kansas State. Jesse Ertz ultimately ends up winning the uh, the aforementioned quarterback battle. And, and, and again, it was very much Portrayed to be neck and neck between a lot of guys, but and again, we we felt like Alex Stelton was going to be able to get in and get some snaps as a true freshman. There were there were plenty of obviously plays for Joe Hubner to make as the season went on, uh, but Jesse Hertz is ultimately the one who wins the job. But on that first play, offensive play of the season, uh, sustains what ultimately ends up being a season-ending knee injury, takes him out of uh, the game, and I. To, to take it back a step, uh, to look back at spring ball, I, I went to the spring game, and this is when the spring game was actually played since there was construction happening at the stadium during the spring. there was uh, The spring game was moved to Sporting Park in uh, Kansas City. I went to that. I watched, uh, and I actually, Nutter, I remember meeting up with you uh, to watch some of that game. Um, and I remember watching Ertz, watching Hubner, watching Delton, and I just thought to myself, I don't know. I really have no idea. So at the time I didn't really think that losing Ertz for the year would end up meaning that much. How did you guys feel after he went out? Cause again, I felt like that quarterback battle was so even that it really didn't matter that there was really nothing separating any of these guys.
3: Uh, I was cautiously optimistic about Ertz coming in. Cause I'd heard some good things. Uh, I believe he was scout team player of the year and, uh, former Gatorade player of the year in Iowa in high school. <clears throat> so I was pretty, and he, and him winning the job. Um I was cautiously optimistic, but like you said, whoever won the job was going to be a new guy. Alex Delton was a pretty uh high rated recruit that I was pretty excited about. So I kind of figured, well, hopefully, you know, this doesn't derail the season. We still got Delton, even though, um, He lacked experience, but didn't feel good about it, but, you know, was hoping for the best.
2: Do we recall how late, like, how late before the game Er, Ertz was actually named the starter?
1: I don't remember now. I
2: I feel like this was kind of like like a Carson Kaufman, Grant Gregory, where, like, it was, like, maybe the week of that Bill finally pulled the trigger and said, this is the guy. All that to be said, you know, Jeff, like you said, it was pretty even keeled as far as we were concerned, I'm not too uh, attached to a guy that's played literally two snaps before he's done for the year. So, I mean, I don't know that it really moved the needle one way or the other for me on like my outlook on the season.
1: Uh, If Alex Delton would have been the heir apparent, that was a guy I was pretty excited about. And I think that would have been okay going forward. At least that's what I thought at that point but anytime you're turning to a walk-on or a former walk-on at quarterback i have flashes of jeff schwinn back in 2003 and uh not uh good things
0: you're going back in the archives for that one man (laughs) again those youths aren't going to remember who that was but (laughs) uh in, in any event ultimately Bazooka Joe gets in, and and this this is not a game that K-State has to sweat at all. Uh, They end up extending uh, after Morgan Burns takes that opening kickoff 100 yards for a touchdown. They ultimately end up stretching that lead to 24-0 at halftime. And uh, Nutter, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to jump in with a a band story. Uh, (laughs) Because if you'll recall, this is the the infamous Starship Enterprise, band formation and Nutter, I'll, I'll just go ahead and go on mute here and let you take it away and go on your rant.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, former band nerd rant coming here. I I was in the band for three years. Um, definitely a proud alum. And this was one of the dumbest things I think I've ever seen. Um, so I'm actually at a wedding for this game in Springfield, Missouri and a friend former or a a fellow K state fan pulls me aside and goes, you have to see what's happening at halftime. And he pulls up and it was BuzzFeed or or Barstool or somebody had already ripped like just a little two-second snippet of the video and said, This looks oddly phallic, or you know, this le-. whatever it is, basically they let it was set up to make you think, this is what I'm telling you to see, so this is now what it is. Obviously, very unfortunate the way it all shook out. The formation was not really executed very well. I can only make so many excuses. It didn't look good. But the way that this whole situation was handled by our administration after the fact was just piss poor. I mean, from the ground up. So, you know, Dr. Trace comes out and apologizes for it. In my opinion, he's just trying to have a little fun. He's an Ohio State guy. The Ohio State band does this weekend and week out throughout the season, whether or not they're playing Michigan, they're always taking cracks at Michigan in their halftime shows. I think he was just trying to bring a little bit of that flavor to what K-State's doing. Um, I don't see any harm in it. Like I said, it was a little bit sloppy, made things look a little worse than they actually were, but then for John Curry and Kirk Schultz to essentially not back their band director at all, was just, was just horrendous. In my opinion, he was fined five grand. He was suspended for the KU game that year. And if I remember right, all formations and halftime shows had to be run through the athletic department for approval first, like after that. Um, I did find it funny that a GoFundMe was set up for him, you know, like within hours of this fine being issued. And I think it had reached like triple the amount needed within like 24 hours or something like that. And just kind of a testament to who Dr. Trace is. He said, I'm paying the fine, whatever this raises, I'm putting toward a scholarship, you know, all that to be said, kind of hilarious in hindsight, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. William Shatner even tweeted out how stupid it was. So when you when you literally have Captain Kirk on your side, I think you're doing all right.
0: <laughs>
3: Man, people Man. hate Star Trek. I did, I did not get the uproar over that.
0: This was a time too where uh, if if you will for if you can rewind a few years the fallout that happened after the Marcus Foster implosion, so on the basketball front, the next season leading up to the 15-16 season, this was the Barry Dean Cam first year. The basketball team was was very very green that year, and they struggled. And I remember the the athletic department and president very much like overreaching when it came time for the KU game that uh, that winter in Manhattan, where signs are be, like not even questionable signs are being confiscated and the the refusal to uh, again this is when the the uh, height of we want sandstorm has it, like this is kind of crescendoed here and k-state and john curry and schultz were, were so on the side of being we have to be pc we have to do everything to not portray k-state in the negative light and, and you know some fans took that to mean you know why aren't you Supporting us. Why aren't you supporting me, who's donated hundreds of thousands of dollars? I have not personally donated that much, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people felt that sentiment. And, and this and Nutter, This is really just kind of the the build up to that. Like, and at the end of the day, this this is these are college kids having fun. It it it's it's harmless. And horrendous things have been said about Kansas State by fans and alums and big money people at the University of Kansas and th- this is this is what makes rivalries you know that that disdain of for one another and if you can't have fun with it every once in a while like what the hell's the point you know that that part to me was quite frustrating i, I admittedly i actually i know this is going to shock some people but i was able to go out to the parking lot get a beer and come back in for the start of the third quarter i know some people think that's impossible and think that that's some sort of Sacrilegious thing to want to do, but I was able to do that. So I had not heard or seen any of the hubbub about the formation and and my cell. Uh, I have T-Mobile self service was shit on game days in, in there, so I, I didn't know what happened until the next day when I started seeing that popping up on my timeline on Twitter. It was just all. It was just very funny to me, and just seems like why why are we trying? It seems like Case State is going out of its way. This this is like self-reporting something. You know, we're trying to make this a problem. You know, and it's that that was just kind of the way things ran under john curry and kirk schultz but
2: it was a perfect opportunity for them to come out and say this is much ado about nothing guys let it go and they did the exact opposite from every which way
3: they all all they had to say was it looked bad probably not something we should have done but there was no ill intent so just laugh at it get over it no big deal exactly exactly
0: exactly but to bring it back to the game now, this uh, this again is a ho hum affair. K-State gets a shutout on the day, 34 to nothing is the final. But uh, the Wildcats do endure two pretty significant injuries. Obviously, Jesse Ertz, as we mentioned, going out on the uh, second play of scrimmage for the offense. Later on in the game, Dante Barnett, your your stalwart on the back end, uh, sustained a season-ending injury. So the secondary takes a very significant hit here and and this is where depth starts to become a concern uh, as we talked about some of those misses on the recruiting front uh we're not having the, the talent necessary to fill those holes uh, when guys like dante Barnett go out he's not he's certainly not an easy easily replaceable piece but this this was kind of going to signify what the year was going to look like for k-state but the wildcats Nevertheless, do move to 1-0 on the season, 34-0 winners over South Dakota. So we move on to game two of the season, and this takes us down to UTSA. K-State, another pretty ho-hum affair here, 30-3 winners over the Roadrunners. This, this is a Roadrunner team that's coached by Larry Coker, the former Miami head coach, uh, and, and they're, they're just coming up to D1. They've not been in the fray that long and K-State obviously has superior talent here. And, and even with Joe Hubner quarterbacking this team, the Wildcats are still very comfortably ahead in the, uh very comfortable in this game and getting, uh, they do get down three to nothing early in the first quarter, uh, but they do ultimately end up uh, establishing a 13-3 halftime lead, pull away to win, to 3 have to settle for several Jack Cantelli field goals and 29-yarder, 27-yarder and a 21-yarder. So struggling to finish drives. And, and really what we're seeing early on in the season uh, is some kind of recommitting to the run game. We obviously saw the big pivot the year prior with Jake Waters, Tyler Lockett, Curry Sexton. We all kind of knew that this was going, to, that 2014 team was going to be much more passing oriented and this year we're coming back to what we again become very accustomed to knowing snyder 2.0 offenses to look like very heavy on the qb run game and some of the the pieces contributing in that run game are charles jones this is He's, I won't say struggling, but he's he's not quite finding his footing here early on in the season. Uh, Justin Sillman's a guy who's starting to make an impact when he gets the ball. Dalvin Wormack starting to get some touches. winston dimmel of course getting uh, plenty of touches and especially around the goal line for this team so this is kind of what we're coming to see uh, materialize as the run game early on here qb run lots of winston dimmel as i said in goal line packages but we're still not really finding a lot of explosive playmakers in, in the running game and passing wise things are still very very lean uh, dominic heath and cody cook are probably Options one and one A or one A one B right now. Deontay Burton is also making some contributions here and there. And then Andre Davis is another name. This was a kid I, I was very high on him. Uh, great measurables, great speed, but he didn't really end up contributing a whole lot to the squad uh, this season. But nevertheless, the Wildcats do move to two and zero after a thirty to three victory. The unfortunate happening in this game, Alex Delton, the aforementioned Alex Delton, who we thought was going to be making some contributions at quarterback, especially now that Jesse Ertz was out for the season. Delton sustains a season-ending injury at uh, um, in, in this particular contest. So now things, the quarterback room is becoming very lean very quickly, and it doesn't really come back. It, it doesn't come to bite K State in game three of the season. Uh, this is a game though that is. Very competitive and very nerve-wracking, and I think should have probably sent up a lot of red flags. Uh, this is a 39-33 to 33 win over Louisiana Tech. This is not a, a, a bad La Tech squad. They ultimately end up finishing the year 9-4, and four, go to a bowl game. Uh, a, a very respectable Louisiana Tech team, quarterbacked by Jeff Driscoll. Uh, but when, when you're having to stress as much as K-State was in this game, I think this to me was starting to say okay this i don't know if this group really has what it takes to make a bowl this is when i'm starting to question i don't know how this group's going to be able to move into conference play because we're still we don't really have much of an identity in the passing game we haven't seen really any big playmakers show in the run game this this to me was the big red flag game was it the same for you guys
1: <clears throat> the red flag that i had was that You know, Jesse Yerts and Dante Burnett were already out. And at that point, I had pretty much given up on the season. I was still going to pay attention. I was going to enjoy it uh, when the good things happened, but I wasn't going to really stress about any of the uh, losses that we were going to get that year. I mean, I I don't know what exactly this team could have been if they had those two players, but you take away your – you know, your your captain safety who's the quarterback of your defense. You take away your actual quarterback. I mean, on any good team that K-State has had, um, then probably cut your wins in half right away. Um, the Louisiana Tech game was pretty fun. If they had, you know, Texas Tech or Iowa State on their jersey and you had this game, you would think, oh, that's just a, a fun kind of close game. Um, I guess we'll probably talk about um, – Hubner and his ability at some point so we can probably talk about it now I mean he was a walk-on a former walk-on he had a hell of an arm he had a cannon he stood tall in the pocket he could move around fairly well but he wasn't accurate he wasn't consistent he probably should not have been out there I, I don't blame him for anything that happened that year I blame the coaches for not being able to recruit an upperclassman quarterback that was ready to come in and play um, but having said that, there were a few passes in this game, especially uh one of the later ones to Cody Cook in overtime that were pretty incredible looking. He could he could really sling it at points throughout the season.
3: That that pass to Dominic Heath in the back of the end zone, that was like I watched that highlight, I don't even know how the ball got to him, but that was that was one of those nice nice throws. Maybe yeah. lucky, but <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's worth you could, noting you could, too on the I think it was the decider to Cody Cook in the third overtime. That was on third and a mile, like third and 15-16 too. So I mean like down in distance literally. I mean, yeah, he didn't make a ton of plays throughout the year, but he I mean, he showed up when he needed to to seal this one.
0: Yeah, this game is I I don't think there's really any argument. This is certainly his best game as a passer. Uh, Bazooka Joe ha- doesn't he hits below 60% of his throws, he goes 15 to 26, but he has three touchdowns, no picks. So I'm fine with that outing. Like that's, that's a perfectly fine stat line in my book, obviously. Right. And some of those throws that you talked about though, were just insane. The the one, I, and I, I, I sat South end zone this season and, and the throw to cook in, in the overtime was absurd. And I, I, I watched that play unfold. And there are eight guys in coverage like that. There are no, and I'm looking, I was like, there's no window to throw this ball through at all. And, and I think Joe realized that and just said, all right, let's just wing it and see what happens. And he just, you know, timing was perfect on it. Found Cody Cook, who had found just enough of a soft spot in the zone coverage to to haul that one in and bring it in for a touchdown. Uh, Again, this, this was a great win. And, and again, it's always fun. Like I said, you go triple overtime, you come out on top. It's great. You know, you won the game, you're three and you're getting ready to go on and start big 12 play good and bad. (laughs) You know, lots of good and bad here. You're seeing some guys start to develop a little bit, particularly on the defensive side. Elijah Lee is starting to kind of become a force here uh, for this defense. He actually racks up 12 tackles in this game, three tackles for loss, and a couple sacks. Uh, Will Geary, uh, this is first year we really start to to notice his contributions on the defensive side. Jordan Willis obviously getting in to start. Um, there's a lot of guys on the defensive side that are starting to make their presence felt um, offensively. Like I said, still some question marks, but at the end of the day, y- you found a way to get it done. It was certainly not pretty. K-State was actually out gained by almost 100 yards in this game, but they found a way to win They're 3-0 Nothing else left to say. Let's move on to conference play. Uh, and K-State, uh, what a shocker opening up on the road to, <laughs> to begin the Big 12 slate, going to Stillwater. Uh, this game was, I, I won't say it set the tone, just the way that K-State performed the following week after this one. But this was a game, I think, that really could have bolstered the confidence of this group have they found a way to help uh, to hold on to it now we have tons of shit that go down and uh, that goes down in this game Uh, we have joe hubner first drive leading k-state right down the field to score and gets cracked and gets knocked out of the game with what i think everyone believes to be a concussion like he took a major major shot (laughs) on that opening drive but Cody Cook comes in now that the quarterback room has been pretty much decimated. Cody Cook's now moving from receiver to quarterback. So you're taking away one of your most reliable options and one one guy who's got probably the best hands uh, in your receiver room. And now you're putting him a QB. So now all of a sudden things are looking leaner at receiver. But Cody Cook comes in and probably has. This is when your starter gets shelled in the first inning. And then your middle reliever comes in and gives you like five straight scoreless innings. <laughs> and that's pretty much what Cody Cook ended up doing in this game. He then actually ends up finishing off that drive with a three yard touchdown run. and this this is an Oklahoma State team uh, that was four 0 going into the contest. They were ranked twentieth. They're quarterbacked by Mason Rudolph, though, who I, I and I never really sweat playing Oklahoma state. like i I, I guess i I shouldn't say that. I, I wasn't worried about him beating us, obviously with his legs, because this, if there was a quintessential statue quarterback, it was Mason Rudolph. And that's why I felt like this defense, this team would have an opportunity to win. Now, this game goes seesaw in the first quarter. James Washington hauls in a touchdown pass for Oklahoma State to level it up at seven. Glenn Gronkowski gets a touchdown, hauls in a touchdown pass from Cody Cook. Cats go back on top 14 to seven then Oklahoma State responds back, but they missed the PAT, so it's 14-13. And then this is where K-State starts to, to separate. We see Deontay Burton on a on a nice rollout. Cody Cook finds him for a touchdown, and then K-State gets a big fumble recovery uh, after a, a backwards lateral is scooped up and uh, taken down inside the Oklahoma State red zone. Justin Sillman, Oklahoma native, ends up capping off that drive with a touchdown. So now it's 28-13. And we've got four minutes left before halftime. And at this point, I'm saying, okay, maybe, maybe there is a little bit more to this group than I thought. And there, there was a, a moment and I believe Alex, you were the one who called this out on a couple, a uh, couple episodes ago where Oklahoma state's facing a, and I looked at it, it was a third, and th- or third, and 23, and they complete a 19 yard pass. So again, 19 is less than 23. However, the officials cocked up something and gave them a first down. Well, that is upsetting. The more infuriating thing is that K-State has three timeouts and they don't elect to do anything. They don't call a timeout to have them look at it. To And again, if you're talking about Oklahoma State and, and ultimately Oklahoma State, the next play, they get like a 25 yard completion. So it might have been a moot point, but they were going tempo, tempo. So if you call that timeout and you force things to force them to think about that and what they're obviously going to probably give you a different look on that fourth and four, that, that was a pretty pivotal moment in the game that didn't kick in K state in the ass. And I don't know, have you guys ever seen anything like that since?
2: Nope. I've seen spot situations where, you know, maybe a matter of two feet one way or the other, but never, no, never three, four yards like that
3: what was it just that the side of the field they were on someone put the it wasn't the chain side and they put
0: the marker like 5 yards short as it was supposed yep, to be or that something? was exactly it the marker was and it, it, it well that was the weird thing it wasn't it wasn't 5 yards it was 4 i i, I sw- like it was honestly it was right at the marker and, and that's yep. very clearly the route that the receiver ran like he saw that he went right to the marker and he caught it on a comeback and the officials the, This is kind of one of those. I think this
3: might have been kind of in the time where there was always the talk about the the hurry up offenses and how the referees were struggling to keep up with it as much as the defenses. And on the opposite side of the markers, you just have someone that's running and throwing that little, uh, you know, the little orange. There's no chains over there. They just have to run and throw it down to give someone an idea of where the first down is, but it's not really official. But they clearly just couldn't keep up with the offense, threw it down four yards short. And then the line judge on that side just like, Oh, there it is. First down and nobody, and they're trying to move the markers. So Oklahoma state could keep rolling, you know? So yep.
0: just a bad situation. And I remember being furious at the time because I thought back to how two years prior the, the bullshit Daniel Sam's fumble that, probably ended up swinging the game back to Oklahoma state. Then I think about this and Oklahoma state ends up scoring a touchdown two plays later on this drive to draw to within 28, 28. I told myself that that's, that's going to hurt right now because K state was at that point. If you do get that stop, you get ball 28, 13, you take that into halftime and you get ball to start second half. So you're talking about a potentially a 15 point lead going into the locker room. So that, that was a very momentous swing in the game. Now, This one, it doesn't get away in the second, or excuse me, in the third quarter, but this is really when Oklahoma state pretty much has the, the truncated Cody cook playbook diagnosed (laughs) at this point. So the wildcats, they, they really, this one, they, they lose this game in the third quarter where they have four possessions that ultimately net negative four yards, zero first downs, and obviously result in four punts. Um, but the defense is up to the task. They, they ultimately only yield one touchdown on those four possessions that they give back to Oklahoma state. So, but you think about that, you had four opportunities to stretch even at that time, what was a 28 to 20 lead. And you can capitalize on any of those. So that, that was a stretch where the game became closer when K state really probably could have pushed it back out to a two score margin. But again, I think things were just vastly limited with Cody cook at this point, just having to come in at spot duty and Oklahoma State ultimately ends up taking the lead with six minutes and six seconds left in the fourth quarter following a Brandon Shepard touchdown pass from Mason Rudolph. Now, State looks pretty much dead to right at this point, just with the way that the offense has been kind of trucking along, for lack of a better word here. But we see the weird thing we see that we see happen here. Um, Cody Cook rips off a run and then Bazooka Joe comes back into the game after Cody Cook gets knocked out. So we now have Joe Hubner, who everybody thought had gone to pass. I mean, that, that hit was <laughs> jarring. Joe Hubner comes back into the game, and he has to lead K-State. The Wildcats start uh, a drive on their own nine-yard line. So it looks like K-State's pretty much SOL here. They don't have a lot of time left, and, and the, the offense has just been sputtering the entire second half. But Hubner ends up finding Charles Jones on a wheel route that gets the Wildcats 72 yards and hubner ends up capping that drive off with a 3 yard touchdown run on a 4th and 3. So, K-State has now gone ahead of Oklahoma State with 3 minutes and 1 second left. It's 34-33. I know we talk about it all the time, but guys, if, if you had to if I had to ask you, does K-State get a critical two-point conversion? What is your intuitive response to that question? <laughs> Never.
2: Probably not. Whole hell of a lot of nope there, captain.
0: And, uh, no, the Wildcats do not get, get the two to push it up to a three point lead, which ultimately ends up biting this team in the ass. Oklahoma state is able to go on a game winning drive, uh, with a Ben Grogan 37 yard field goal with 32 seconds left. Joe Hubner on the ensuing possession throws an interception. And that's all she wrote, uh, this is a string now of five consecutive losses for the Wildcats and Stillwater. Uh, the average margin in those defeats was 3.8 points. K-State was just, again, always so so close. And, and this is this was a game where you came uh, came away feeling encouraged, but not like it, it was a very valiant effort, to, especially to see Cody Cook come in and show out the way that he did. But I'll, I'll ask you, Clint, after this game. Did, did you change your mind at all in terms of what, what thinking maybe would K-State go with Cody Cook moving forward? Any change in terms of what you thought the offense might do? Uh, well, I will say that this is the game that made me fall in love with
1: Cody Cook. I mean, that guy was a baller <laughs> to be a receiver, come in and do the things that he did. Obviously, he didn't last the entire game, but uh, he, he looked incredible there for a while. Um, and especially since the previous game, he had come up with an incredible one-handed touchdown catch that was very reminiscent of the um, uh, the one against Tech the year before with Curry Sexton. Um, but What
2: would you think of that play, Clint? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I, I, I was hoping for a segue to that because I, I do have to walk back what I said a little bit in the last pod. That was an incredible catch. Uh, It deserves every praise uh, in the world, especially since uh, Curry Sexton is such a nice guy. and reached out to me on Twitter, and he he generally was extremely nice about it. But, um, yeah, that that was a very good catch. Both of them were. Anyways, um, going forward.
2: (laughs) Curry's uh, listening uh, to this from the backseat of your car, by the way.
1: Uh, going forward, I I did not have very high hopes for the season. Still, I I didn't know if they were going to go with Hubner or, um, you know ha- have uh, uh what's his face new quarterback coming in uh, Cody Cook. Um, I, I'll tell you that I didn't even watch the next game. I went to the Western Irish Fest out in Western Missouri, which definitely recommend. That's always a good time. But didn't even watch the TCU game, so no, I was not very high on this team.
0: And I don't think anyone would fault you. Just with uh, there, there's been a lot that's happened, and uh, this this is really also the year where you know K State's been, if you think about it, K State's been very fortunate on the quarterback injury front these first several seasons of Snyder 2.0. This is the year where we start to see like QB power resulting in just like perpetual injury. We're seeing guys going out every, however many games. And, and this was kind of what happens in 2017. It's what happens in 2018. It's, it's just tough to kind of watch just based off of the, the philosophy and what Snyder and Demo wanted to accomplish with the offense. And th- this year was obviously the worst of that, but nevertheless, this, this group falls uh, to open up big 12 play the cats now three and one on the season coming home to host at that point in time, second ranked TCU. This is a team led again by Trevon Boykin. They're coming off of their huge season the year prior when they went 12 and one, ended up blitzing Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl, 42 to three. This is a very good TCU squad that's pretty much loaded up and and, and again in contention uh, for a big 12 title. Now I I'll, I'll, I'll start and we all know how this game ends, but Could you guys describe your emotions at halftime for me first?
2: I mean, I definitely, it was, it's easy to say when it's an 18 point lead, but it's definitely ours to lose, right? We're we're up 18 and we hit the ball and we have run absolutely at will against TCU. I mean, you got to think this game plays into our strengths. If we just keep doing what we're doing, we might not only win this, we might run away with it. That's definitely what I was thinking at half.
3: Yeah, I remember, uh, A, being kind of surprised and shocked that we were up that big, but also just feeling really good, really confident. Um, and one thing I remember about this game is, and it's definitely not going to make any list, but I remember this crowd of this game being really, really good. I remember there was a point late in the fourth quarter that I pulled my phone out and recorded because, you know, before the defense kind of let it, let everyone down. It was a electric crowd that game. Um, so, yeah, feeling pretty good at halftime for sure. Clint, how were you feeling? A little buzzed? Uh,
1: I was a little buzzed, but I was following along on <laughs> my phone. I was pleasantly surprised to uh, see what we were doing. And, you know, like you guys said, we uh, totally went away from our game plan,
0: it seemed, at least uh, from what I could tell on the ESPN app. So – this one opens up now uh, again TCU the, this is coming off the year in which the Wildcats got worked over pretty good by TCU in 2014 uh 41 to 20 was the final in that game and things open up very poorly for K-State's defense they give up an 86 yard touchdown run on the first play from scrimmage so uh, at that point I was like oh shit this is this is going to go south in a hurry but uh, and we this is kind of what we see this team do in really all but one game uh, K-State actually punches back and, and Joe Hubner pulls things level with a touchdown run then to, uh, TCU responds back it's a touchdown pass to, uh, to Josh Dot, Josh Dotson then bazooka Joe has another touchdown run this one of 17 yards and this is when the game starts to the pendulum really starts to swing in K State's favor the Wildcats are trailing 17 to 14 but Charles Jones uh, gashes TCU right up the middle of the field uh just pointing uh, Put your heel on the ground and run, Chuck, man. You just, just don't dance, bro. Um, so he rips off a touchdown run to put K-State up 21-17. to uh, 17. The Wildcats get an interception. Elijah Lee after, off the deflection gets an INT for K-State. Charles Jones caps off the next drive with a seven yard touchdown run. And then K-State forces a TCU punt and Bazooka Joe is able to capitalize and put that one in for a touchdown with just 22 seconds left in the second quarter. So everybody's feeling great about life. K-State really hasn't had to put the ball in the air. Uh, This this is very much just K-State zone reading TCU to death. It, It was kind of remarkable to see Gary Patterson's defense get caught flat footed the way that they were in this contest. Um, but that's what K-State was able to do. They they are up 35 to 17, and they will get ball to start half number two. Now, Joe Hubner is not known for his precision, not to discredit him, but he's not known for that. Um, and, and he has run the ball very effectively in, in the first half. And candidly, I, I have always been of the belief, make them st- make them show that they can stop you. And at that point, they TCU had not done that And, and to that. And also on the first possession of the second half, Joe Hubner had ripped off a 23 yard run on that drive to get K-State into TCU territory. K-State's looking at a second and nine and we're throwing a deep end to Zach Reuter, who gets um This could have been a legal contact had the ball been thrown a fraction of a second earlier. But unfortunately, it ultimately ends up in a pick six. And this is honestly where I told myself, get ready, because this is probably going to really, really fucking suck. Uh, So TCU draws to within 35 to 24 following the pick six. And this is when the offense just goes into a shell. And. What I really, really got frustrated with in this, again, completely went away from what had been successful. And then to to back that all up, the first four possessions K-State had in the second half, Joe Hubner was one of 11 throwing the ball with a pick six. And then we decide after, well, none of that shit worked, Dana and the offensive brain trust decide, let's go back to running the ball. And K-State has the next drive down, or excuse me, up 35 to 21. They go on a drive, 10 plays, all runs, 45 yards. They get a touchdown to go up 42, 31 early in the fourth quarter. I still was not feeling great at this juncture. Uh, another reason K-State sustains another Catastrophic injury on the this one coming on the defensive side with Danzel McDaniel, you're your easily your best cover corner. You're certainly your best hitter in the secondary going out with a season ending injury. So now things are looking lean in the secondary already more so than they were uh, at the game's outset. So K-State's really kind of playing on borrowed time here. And what what ultimately ends up unfolding, TCU goes and rips off a couple of touchdowns to go up 45 to 42. Now, this was probably the most furious I have ever been at a decision in my life. So K-State's looking at a third and 10, and Dominique Keith runs a comeback route and gets nine. There is two minutes clock running and it's fourth down and one. And while, again, offense has been pretty erratic this half, you still have to take into consideration how effectively you've run the ball. Were you guys thinking that they were going to go on fourth and one?
3: I was hoping they were. (laughs) But I was thinking they were probably not. Because that put them in a, what, a 37-yard field goal? hmm. Yeah, I was probably I don't actually remember what I was thinking, but I'm probably thinking go for it, because if you give them the ball back, they're going to score, you know. So but at the same time, most coaches are not going to pass up a 37 yard field goal to tie the game with under two minutes left. So.
2: Yeah, I can't honestly say I remember the situation all that well, but just, you know, looking at it on paper. The fact that TCU's offense has really kind of come to life in the second half, almost like you take your chances at home and try to get that extra three feet, burn at least another minute or so, and then, you know what I mean? Like, even if you have to settle for a shorter field goal, you can at least burn that much more clock.
0: I I watched the field go through three uprights, and I my wife and I told her, let's go. Because we, I knew we weren't going to win this game. Um, and I'll just be honest. This is one of those where I feel like all of the accrued experience on that staff is really working against Bill and all the coordinators where they're telling themselves that you have to play this by the book and you have to take the points. And uh, t- to me, after you've seen the opponent rip off 28 points and a half against you, you you can't be feeling and I know you don't want to just totally discredit and and remove confidence from your defense but you you have to take that all elements into consideration you, you if if you go for it and you don't get it I would have much rather seen that group go out in that fashion trying to get the first down and worst case scenario maybe you just take more time off the clock and you kick a field goal anyway and you actually do push it to overtime where you maybe have a chance to win but giving the ball to TCU with a minute 46 left was, was not going to be the way to play it in my mind. And and again, that wasn't Monday morning quarterbacking. I I said it just a few moments ago. I literally got up and left because I knew we weren't going to win that game. So Cantelli comes through, knocks in the field goal, but then TCU scores on a 55-yard touchdown pass just 37 seconds later. So I got a jump on beating traffic, and I smashed a butt-heavy tall boy on my way back to my car, and then I rage drove back home to Kansas City. So that was my night. Um, I'll tell you this. Um, so I actually
3: had to walk across the street to go work at the hospital. So I left the game, and I was listening to it and i believe from my car to we kicked the field goal i got upstairs to work and we were already losing and i'm like what the (laughs) hell just happened they already i was like they already scored are you serious i couldn't even get the radio tuned in time to hear it so
0: yeah Uh, and again this this is not to discredit tcu this was a a tremendous squad trevon boykin threw for 300 Uh, ran for 124, had five, or excuse me, four total touchdowns. Like they, this was a good TCU group. I'm not trying to take that away from them, but this was a game that K-State just gagged in so many ways. And again, the, the experience, like I said, I I felt like this was the first time that, that this had really worked against that staff in in a high stakes manner. Like they, the call was to go for it. And Try to get that first down. Try to kill that clock. If you if you score a touchdown, you leave TCU with no virtually no time left to make plays. If you don't get it on fourth down, at least you went down swinging. But that's how this game ends. K State falls to number two TCU, 45 to 52 is the final. And, and I think this is the the following week is really what happens after. This group has just had their confidence shredded. Like there's been some bad there's been some injuries, but I think this group just totally lost any competitive edge. And I think they just felt uh, that everything just kind of the burden of those two losses, just giving those games away where you had a fifteen point lead and an eighteen point lead, giving those two games away in the manner that they did. you You were kind of bound to have a bad game, but I don't think anybody expected it to be this bad. Uh, this is a game uh, that K-State gets blanked at home by Oklahoma. 55 to nothing is the final. It, and I, I, I'm i not going to say I was embarrassed as a fan. This was just one word. It ju- I just kind of like, I think everybody felt it. You know, you just kind of knew that K-State was due for one of these types of outings. And Oklahoma just wrecked K-State in the first half, got up 35 to nothing, Uh, Got a pick six on the first possession of the second half. I I mean, it it just all went sideways for K-State. They they get outgained in this game by 458 yards. It's it's just not pretty at all. And the one thing I remember about this game is going to watch the uh, ALCS when the Royals ended up coming back to beat Toronto and uh, get their and uh, take. I believe it was game uh, two of the ALCS against the Blue Jays. That was really the only thing I remember about this. I also, the, the funny thing I remember reading on message boards, people getting asked up about fans leaving early. Man, it's 35 to nothing. This team has done nothing in the first half. You you don't gain a fan card for sitting through beatings like this. And I don't know how, what your guys' thoughts were on, on that side of it. But I just remember being very frustrated that all these old timey fans that were like, Oh, well, we sat through this, you know, for years during the, the stand pairs are like, yeah, I, I don't care. I'm not going to watch us lose 55 to nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah. I also, uh, also left at halftime to, uh, tune into the Royals game, but I do remember the, the one thing that might've given us a little glimmer of hope before this game was Oklahoma, Oklahoma had all kinds of plane trouble getting into Manhattan before this game. And I want to say they didn't land in Manhattan until, like, 4 a.m. on game day, and it was a 2.30 kick, so, like, pretty quick turnaround, all things considered. So, you know, everyone was convinced that we were going to have a little bit of an edge, and that obviously went out the window pretty much from jump. But, uh, yeah, that's about the only other thing I remember about the game itself.
3: I also also want to go. (laughs) Sorry, Clint uh, to go watch that, um, ALCS game. I think we talked about that off air a couple weeks ago, maybe, but, uh, um, yeah, 110 yards of total offense. That's pretty much all I wanted to say. That's
1: dreadful. I'm pretty sure Bob Stoops called off the dogs pretty early. I feel like this game could have been a hundred to zero, um, if the 09 Nebraska game is my least favorite game of all time, this is probably my second least favorite game of all time.
3: That is not the first time old Bobby Stoops has done that. Do you remember I think Prince might have been the coach, but I think it was that year that we uh they went up like 28 to 7, then we tied at 28-28 all in the first half, mind you, and then by halftime it was like 55 to 28. I mm-hmm. believe the, the, the whole second half, OU only scored three points of, of that game because it was over, but,
1: you know. Yeah, it never seemed like Stoops wanted to embarrass us, which yeah. I'm thankful for in games like this.
3: <laughs> I mean, pretty sad that I can think of two times that that's happened where they called off the the, the dogs, even though they had 55 points. But uh, that is uh, that is definitely not the first time Stoops has done that, so... Good guy, Stoops. Yeah. <laughs> Good job,
0: Bobby. Yeah. The, this this one was tough. Uh, and, and again, there's there's very, there are no positives to take from it. And I, like I said, I think that TCU game just, you know, the, there are games that just kind of break teams. And I think that really just kind of broke the spirit of this team. Uh, you think about it, they, they were so close to being 5-0, and probably being maybe not a top 10 team, but certainly a team in the top. 15 maybe at that point after you if you well, were to both of those wins o-
2: would have been top 20 wins wouldn't they
0: yeah yeah exactly but neither here nor there unfortunately uh, this is uh this is baker mayfield's first year quarterbacking oklahoma they they finished 11 and 2 uh this season uh and this is uh this is good stoop squad uh, it's, so there's no shame in that but this was this was just a tough one to take now at this point, K-State's dropped their first three in Big 12 play, and now we're going on the road to take on Texas. I remember next to nothing about this game, other than the fact that it was played in a monsoon at Daryl K. Royal. There is nobody in the stadium. Texas is bad. K-State's bad. Uh, the Wildcats were actually, in this game, a six-point dog. And I. I Texas has no offense. Again, they're quarterbacked by Tyrone Swoops. They, they, they don't really have anything to go to, but uh, the the monsoon element of it did not work in K-State's favor. They they struggled to run the ball. Charles Jones has 122 yards, but the rest of the squad has 19 carries for only 13 yards. So Charles Jones is really your only productive weapon on this day for K-State. Hubner struggles passing the ball, uh, goes 10 to 22 for just 97 yards. Has a nice completion to Dominique Keith for a touchdown. Uh, really, the only thing I remember in this game, there was a uh, what could have and should have been a blocked punt, a snap that goes over the Texas punters head. He is able to collect it and gets off just a booming punt. And what could have been a, a game swinging recovery and or block kick for K state gets away from them. The wildcats ultimately end up falling. Texas gets a, a late touchdown to make this a two score game, but it was 16 to nine for the longest time. Uh, so K-State falls to to now Owen Four and Conference play uh, following a 23 to 9 setback at Texas. This is UT's second straight win over the Wildcats in Austin. So the the We Own Texas uh, slogan is slowly but surely starting to die now, <laughs> which kind of sucks uh, considering all the success we had had against them several years prior. So this takes us <laughs> no rest for the wicked. Um Baylor, (laughs) and this is Baylor ranked number two in the country coming to Manhattan. Um, This was a game where I was, honestly, this was moved to a Thursday night, so you're the showcase game on Fox Sports 1. I remember that much about it, but uh, it it was somewhat reminiscent of TCU where Baylor just goes, go, go, go. They get out early, but K-State does punch back. Uh, Jarrett Stidham actually gets the start for Baylor in this contest over Seth Russell. Uh, but K-State's defense is just kind of a shell of itself at this point in the season. They don't have a lot of known pa- uh, known commodities in the pass rush at this point. Jordan Willis still, still very early in his career. So the Cats are really struggling to get pressure on Baylor and, and to slow down their tempo. But K-State does make this a very competitive game. Baylor gets up 31 to 10 uh early in the fourth quarter and and then just kind of gets out of the car and says you know what whatever happens happens because k-state actually does come back and make this competitive Uh, were were any of you guys in attendance for this one i was there hey
3: it was uh what i remember about the you know like down early kind of like oh crap here we go again but i if I'm not mistaken, I believe Duke Shelley makes his first start or gets his first like significant playing time and yeah he he got he allowed a touchdown and maybe a couple but he he made some plays in this game where you're like wow this this kid's gonna be really good and then it turned into just out of nowhere we decided to make it a a game and it got kind of exciting at the end, but kind of you know ended with a bit of a thud.
2: This losing streak, uh, a lot of those losses could be coupled into one of two groups. There were the the games where we got up big and just couldn't hang on, or there were games that we dug ourselves into a massive hole out of the gate and then finally switched it on but had to play, you know, basically error-free football the rest of the way, and the margin for error was just too slim, and this would fall into that category. Um, We dominated the time of possession this game. We actually, we had the ball for 38 minutes this game. Baylor still outgained us by almost 100 yards. We coughed it up three times. Unfortunately, you know when you're playing a top 10 team, you can't put yourself in that position to begin with. It's nice to see us still showing fight this late in the year, and for what all intents and purposes, is a lost season. Um, but yeah, just one too many, uh, one too many home run balls by Stidham early on. I think he hit a, he hit like an 80 yard touchdown pass in the second quarter. That's the one that I'm kind of staring at right now. Um. Yep. You just you can't you can't get yourself that far down against a team this good and expect to be able to erase it.
0: And this defensively, you know, say what you will about you know Stidham hits you for over four hundred. Not good. But really, K State's actually it, it, they've only really been torched in the run game. That game, the twenty twelve game in Waco is the game where. Lake Seastrunk and and just everybody ran all over that that, that defense that night. But K-State's defense since then the, and and every game contest since has done a great job bottling Baylor up in the run game and and I, I think that philosophically Hayes and company were just saying, "Okay, well, if they show run, go and take up take the run." you know, take that out of the equation because we don't want to get gashed by them the way that we did a couple of years back. And they, they actually do limit Baylor to only 103 yards rushing, uh, just three yards per carry. So I, I always, you know, you try to find silver linings and and this was a, a game where it was, it was encouraging to see, like you said, that's probably the, the one takeaway I have. Like you, you've lost five straight in big 12 play and, or now four straight now going on five. Um, and you're still competing, and not only competing, but you're you're going toe to toe with a very sharp team in Baylor. Um, impressive, but th- this again was just frustrating. That that first hat, the first quarter, there was a, a very critical Joe Hubner fumble when the Wildcats were looking to make it. Uh, 14 to 14. He ends up copping one up when the Wildcats are on Baylor's side of the field, and that touchdown does actually the game the, in a game like this this obviously does loom quite large. The Wildcats are able to close it to 31 to 24. Um, now what ends up happening? Baylor uh, pushes a field goal attempt late in the contest with 46 seconds left. So K-State gets the ball back. Um, got a ways to go and. Um, they go to the well. They they ran this play a couple possessions prior where they did a, 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 a bubble to Cook, who took it behind the line of scrimmage and threw down the field to Charles Jones. They ran the same damn play and Cook and Baylor read it very well. They got two guys in into Cook's face and, and rather than trying to take uh, to just try and throw the ball away. He forced one downfield, and this one ends very unceremoniously with Baylor making a pick right on the boundary, very reminiscent of what we saw uh, with Daniel Sams throwing one to Ahmad Dixon back in 2013. This one ends in very much the same way with Baylor getting a game-sealing interception. So the Wildcats fall 31-24, to now 0-5 in Big 12 play. We move next to the Texas Tech game. This is Texas Tech quarterback by Patrick Mahomes, and, and there's, again, this this is a game where K-State gets vastly outclassed. The Red Raiders uh, don't face a third down until uh, midway through the second quarter. The ball is pretty much not touching the ground. Uh, Texas Tech gets up 28 to 7. K-State does, again, <laughs> this is just kind of what this team is doing with, with again, this team is strapped together with duct tape and and particle board and all these loose parts and screws and nails and just and it's still somehow for some reason is still fighting despite being 0 and five in conference play and they actually draw back to within 35 to 28 uh early in the third Uh, But Texas Tech ultimately ends up pushing this one out to 52 to 28. K-State gets some late touchdowns to try and make this one a little competitive. But uh, this was Texas Tech's day. The the Red Raiders outgained K-State 658 to 412. And there's not much left to say at this point other than, I I guess I'll ask you guys, I I remember how I felt in 2001 when K-State kind of ate, the curb in a similar fashion to start big 12 play that year and i remember how adamant i was about i still want us to find a way to get to a bowl game i didn't really have that sentiment this time around did you guys <laughs> no nah. no
2: the six six game losing streaks a lot <laughs> a lot of losses in a row i was gonna ignore it but i guess no one else is um yeah no uh, a six game losing streak is a lot Uh, and at this point your margin for error is gone. If you're looking at bowl eligibility. Um, I think at this point you're just trying to limp to the finish line and not get anybody else hurt, you know, to kind of try to reload for the next year. So no, after this game, which unfortunately was kind of a carbon copy of the Baylor game and that we got down in this massive hole early and tried our tried to claw our way out of it and couldn't get the one more stop we needed. Um, no, I don't. I didn't really have any aspirations of a bowl game. You know, leaving Lubbock that day.
1: I certainly hoped we'd make a bowl game. I don't think I really expected it. I mean, we did have three of our easiest games coming up, so uh, there was always that possibility. But no, I did definitely did not expect that to happen.
3: I mean, this was our what worst loss of, or second worst loss, followed by you know. Oklahoma was only a few weeks before that. So, yeah, I kind of felt like this team, you know, just don't lose to KU
0: and call it a year. (laughs) So the Wildcats get set to host Proud Paul and Iowa State on a cold-ass day in Manhattan, Kansas, in front of about 15,000 people. It was a... I, I went to this game um, probably against my better judgment, uh, at least what I thought at the time, um, uh, the, that this first half was excruciating because I, I didn't think we had fallen this far. This this was a, this was Paul Rhodes. This is the team that gets Paul Rhodes fired. Um, they are three and seven coming into this contest. Uh, they themselves have obviously had a bad season. They have shown very little fight in conference games. At least K-State's been a lot more competitive. Has has been, you know, again the, the, a couple plays go the other direction. A couple th- different decisions are made, in, in crucial situations, this is a team that could be, potentially be, uh, rather than being three and six, could be six and three for all we know. But at least this is a team that should be five and four. But unfortunately, like I said, things the breaks have not gone K-State's way this season. And K-State ends up getting down in this contest 38 or excuse me, 35 to 14 uh, following an an Alan Lazard, 16 yard touchdown catch right at the end of the first half. And I, I remember again, you know. Tweeting on game day when there's 50,000 is tough. Tweeting when there's only 15,000 is a lot easier because there aren't nearly as many cell signals to bog things up. I remember putting out a lot of negative remarks, and a certain fullback on this year's team uh, went through and liked each and every one of them following this game. Um, I will. I have to go back in the archives and find it, but I will absolutely screenshot the shit out of this and post it on the College and Kimball page. But um, I remember putting on there, uh, trying to mentally prepare myself to watch us lose at home to a three-win Iowa State team. And that's kind of where I was at the end of that first half. Um, But the Wildcats do come back. Um, Charles Jones gets an eight-yard touchdown run. Early on in the third quarter, we have Cody Cook on critical fourth down. Bazooka Joe delivers a nice little out pattern to him on the far sideline to for a seven-yard touchdown. So it's 35-28. Now, we have uh, a sequence late in the game where K-State's confronted with a fourth and forever, and, and Hubner, as we've talked ad nauseum, not the most accurate passer uh, by any stretch. He airmails a throw, Iowa State gets ball, and they literally just have to knee the fucking thing out. There (laughs) there was no reason at all to to hand the ball to anybody, to chance anybody mishandling anything, Uh, yet for some reason, Proud Paul decides to do it, and Will Geary with the season-saving strip uh, to give the Wildcats the ball back, and Elijah Lee ends up recovering for K-State. I, um, I remember, I, I, I'm trying to remember how I felt. I was just like, did that really happen? That, that was my reaction. Did, did Iowa State really just do this? Was anybody else in that same camp? <laughs>
3: yeah, it was pretty unbelievable.
0: The thing about this game was
3: uh, not often do we play Iowa State, and I think to myself, wow, they are better than us. And that's kind of how I'm just like, they are just, they have more talent and they're better than us. And then this happens. I was like, oh yeah, they're Iowa State. So it was pretty shocking for sure.
1: They're just so dumb and I love it so much. <laughs> <This is laughs> are, are we in agreement that this is the most Iowa State game
0: of all the Iowa State games, oh absolutely, yeah. With that, I cluster. don't think there's any other game that comes close to contending with this. Like, I mean, the there's... arrow
3: extra point block was so Iowa State, but it's not like they did it. It was just it happened to them, you know, mm-hmm. because they're Iowa State. This was like, we are we are idiots, and we clearly should not be coaching or playing football. So.
0: <laughs> i just I, I still just remember like uh, I, i'm I'm walking out of my uh, out of Section Seven with my parents, and we're just all kind of grumbling and then. You know that that other side of the of the stadium starts to kind of roar and everything. There aren't again there are, there's nobody left in here. There, there, this was a, a very dismal showing by K State fans, and and then you hear Dave Lewis get on the PA and say fumble recovery. They confirm it on replay, and then uh, Hubner follows it up. First play of the next of of the drive. I, I'm pretty sure he just said. Effort. I'm throwing this one because Iowa State has bracket coverage on Andre Davis. They're like, there's a guy over the top. There are two guys underneath. This ball should have been picked off. And he's sums out, able to slip it in Davis and he gets it down deep into Iowa State territory. Charles Jones ends up punching it in, capping it off and getting the touchdown. Cantelli comes through, knocks in the PAT to pull it level at 35-35. Now at this point, if I'm Paul, let me ask you guys what do you do if you're Paul at this point? I say kneel on it, take it to OT, let's see what's what. Because there's not a lot of time left to really even try to get down the field to try this. And and again, horrible conditions outside. I mean, I'd be
3: inclined to try to go score. I think if it's something, you know, like you're you're thinking, oh, Snyder's gonna run the clock out instead of trying to score. So just my initial thought is that, but then if I'm Paul Rhodes, I probably do the opposite of what I think I should do. So, <laughs> and maybe I don't know. But yeah. Where did oh. they
2: start the drive from? That I guess that would be like, where, did they start just like around the twenty?
0: Yeah, it was. I was gonna say they, the, the, there, there, there was no kickoff, big kickoff return. Uh, it's yeah, they start at the twenty-five.
2: Yeah, in, in that seconds case, back. you know the way the entire second half is gone. I think you just, you know, typically I would say try to play for the win on the road. But the fact that like literally nothing has gone your way since you went into the locker room at halftime, I think go ahead and kneel on it and just start prepping for overtime.
1: Yeah, that's that's a no brainer. They hadn't scored a single point in the second half. You're going to make it 80 yards in 40 seconds. Just kneel it.
0: Yeah, and. and- at this point too, um Mike Warren, who has rushed for 195 yards, um, has gone out of the game. So it's just Joel Lanning now. And and so you're just you're saying I, I'm going to rely ho- solely on him and, and likely Alan Lazard to get me down the field in, you know, however many seconds to try to kick a game winning field goal. So that to me was probably the mo- more stunning thing after you have such a a, a kick in the nuts play giving the fumble up to and allowing k-state to pull level i i thought like surely they're just gonna sit on this and let us take it and, and just go to ot and see what's what because it's not like again there's there's no atmosphere it's not like there's a considerable advantage here you're you're not going into a ruckus end zone or anything or like really the only thing that you're fighting at this point is your, the elements uh but paul gets greedy and um joel lanning First play of that uh, ensuing possession after K-State evens it up at 35, 35, landing runs for four yards, and then Iowa State tries to hurry up, and Markel, uh, Marquel Bryant comes through, gets a sack, Mikey Moore, you love to see it, scoops up the fumble, and, and again, this, this was a play that was made, like, if he's there a, a fraction of a second later, Iowa State probably gets back on that thing, Uh, but Mike uh, Mike Moore is able to come through, scoop up the fumble, and now K-State is in business with two consecutive, uh, three Iowa, or excuse me, two Iowa State lost fumbles on their last three offensive plays, and so K-State is in business now with an opportunity to win this game. And I talked about this on one of the previous pods. For whatever the hell reason, we decided to leave time for Iowa State after Jack Cantelli comes on, knocks in the 42-yarder with three seconds left. Rather than simply trying to make this a game-winning proposition, K-State thought it and Snyder thought it would be best to give Iowa State three seconds to try and get a fumble, or not to get a fumble, but rather to try and get a return and see what happens. I don't get that. I never will. I don't know why if you botch the snap with three you know with five seconds, chances are the whole thing's gonna get cocked up. and you're you're gonna lose the down anyway, and you're likely just gonna you're gonna run out of time. like that's that's the long and the short of it. So I have no idea why k State approached that the way that they did, wanting to leave time left and force themselves into kicking the ball to Iowa State and putting yourself in a position where you have to go down and, and cover a kick and, and get a guy down. But that's what ends up happening. Fortunately, uh, despite the fact that Iowa State actually does advance the ball pretty far down the field, they get it, get it onto K-State side of the field. They get it to the Wildcats 37. Ultimately, Will Davis ends up falling on a, uh, a lost fumble when Iowa State's doing the lateral drill. So a little stressful at the end, but the Wildcats pull off one of the more miraculous games uh, and comebacks that you will ever see. I, I certainly cannot think of any game that this really like the, the Texas A&M comeback a couple years ago that went into four overtimes. That, that that obviously was unique and had its nuance, but this this was just so weird. I honestly like can it, do you guys have any game that comes close to this just in terms of the late game drama, the buffoonery by the other side? Like I, I have no game that comes to my mind that's even close to this.
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, when you look at, you know, the, the drive breakdown, Iowa State's last six drives of this game, punt, fumble, punt, fumble, fumble, fumble. I mean, it it really does not, I know we've said it two or three times already, it does not get more quintessential Iowa State than that. Um, I did want to tack on one thing, though. You know, you mentioned us kind of inexplicably leaving them time on the clock after we kicked that field goal. We actually spotted them 15 extra yards because I think, Cantelli either forgot or just didn't care and ripped his helmet off, you know, in celebration mm-hmm. after that. So that that might have aided the field position a little bit and made that last play a little more a little bit more interesting. It was already too interesting in the fact that it happened at all. But uh, no, it's uh, I don't I can't I can't think of any other game that that I personally have watched that would even come close to equating to what this turned out to be.
3: Yeah, I don't have one. I think that's. And Telly's message to, uh, hey, don't leave any time left on the clock. So, you know.
0: <laughs> and it's so weird, too, because we have, you know, a couple of years ago, you have the 2011 season where every game is just a nail biter. But uh, the, that's one where K-State really just had tons of breaks fall its way and and they were able to come through in late game situations. This was, uh, again, uh, not to to discredit this team but the way that they had been kicked in the nuts they they had certainly they had more or more than deserved some karma and some and a break or two to go their way and And thank you, proud Paul, for for giving this one on your way out the door. So the Wildcats pick up uh, their first Big 12 win uh, not a moment too soon here. As you said, Nutter, we've got no margin for error left if we're looking to make the postseason here. We got got some sort of bowl game to make here, don't we not? Uh, So the Wildcats, 38-35 winners over Iowa State. Paul Rhodes dismissed the, uh, I'm pretty sure, as soon as he gets off the plane at Ames. Uh, So the Wildcats moving on now to the Sunflower Showdown. This is uh, David Beatty has now taken over for KU. Um, this is his first year as head coach of the Jayhawks, and and he's really inherited a mess as far as scholarship numbers go, because Charlie Weiss swung and missed on so many guys and transfers and everything's really foobarred for him. So th- this was a horrible KU team. And. and uh, I don't know about you guys. Do, did you do you take enjoyment in beating this? This this was an zero and twelve KU team that was one hundred twenty eighth nationally in scoring defense and one hundred twenty third nationally in offense. I I I take a little bit of enjoyment just in the sense of beating them, but I I don't relish in this the way that some of our fans do. Are, are you guys the same way? I don't think I relish beating them at all. It's more of
3: a check the box we beat them this year move on with my day you know I'd be more upset you know if we lost to them beating them is just you know kind of a formality so I mean it's still nice to beat them but I don't really it's not really a game I'm like celebrating afterwards
2: I uh I hate KU for one week out of the year um and I know a lot of our fans have an absolute bloodthirst hatred for them You know. 365 days a year. I can't say I've ever really fallen into that boat. Um, I want to beat them and I want to crush them when we play them. But, you know, kind of like Alex said, after that, I've moved on. Um, I'm kind of done with them. I don't take a lot of, I mean, like you said, Jeff, this was literally the worst team in the country that year. And I don't even think that it's a debate. So, I mean, I would have been disappointed if we didn't go out and beat them by 30 plus.
1: I hate KU 52 weeks a year at least their athletic (laughs) program uh yeah i i love kicking the shit out of them i don't care how bad they are i'd
0: do it 12 games a year if i could (laughs) (laughs) to show you how bad this team was again this we've we've talked about how average at best this k-state squad was k-state was a 19 point favorite on the road in this game that tells you how bad KU is when you're when you're laying 19 uh, as a four and six team Uh, the Wildcats truck the Hawks in the first half it's actually seven to seven early on but K-State rips off uh, what ends up being 38 unanswered points to Pushed this game out to 45-7 to early on in the fourth quarter. Uh, nice outings from Bazooka Joe. He throws for 133 yards, runs for 88 and a couple touchdowns. Uh, Winston Dimmel has a couple TDs. Uh, everybody's getting in on the action for K-State. Again, this is just kind of what we've come to know with the Wildcats. Take care of business in Lawrence on a, a rainy Saturday post-Thanksgiving. A very dreary setting uh, as KU falls to 0-12 on the year, the Wildcats improved to five and six. And now at this point, I, I've kind of, I guess that, that little, that little flicker of emotion has kind of come back. And that little bit of fire has come into me. I'm like, okay, let's, let's go out and get West Virginia and get this damn bowl game. Cause I, I know there was some chatter going into the week about one, the fact that there are so many freaking bowl games that there are five and seven teams that if you have the high enough APR score that you're going to qualify to make a bowl. And there I remember one of the questions that some of the players were asked, if you finish, if you lose this game, would you guys still accept a bowl bid? And, you know, justifiably, I, I don't know how motivated I would be to go out and try and compete one more time when I've gone at that what would have been two and seven in league games. And I've really. I don't know, but. I was in the, of the mentality of, okay, well, this is West Virginia. Uh, Clint, I know how much you love when we beat the shit out of good old Dana. Um, this game was ugly as hell, though. This was a terrible game to watch. Um, I was at a wedding. Um, don't remember a whole lot about this other than that uh, there, Morgan Burns had another kick return touchdown his fourth of the season. He was a first team all, uh, uh, um, All-American as a kick returner. And he ultimately ends up providing the, the game deciding kick return late in the fourth quarter. Um, if you watched K-State's offense, the preceding three quarters, uh, your eyes are probably still bleeding. It was not pretty <laughs> at all. Uh, Hubner actually is not injured in this game. He just ends up getting benched uh he goes six of 19 in the first half has two interceptions and the offense is really sputtering but k-state's defense has really uh risen to the challenge here they're they're only down 13 to three despite all of the shortcomings on the offensive side and uh your boy clint cody cook ends up coming in and leading the second most memorable comeback of the season (laughs)
1: Uh, I guess you and I look for different things in a football game of what makes it uh, a a good football game to watch I guess I'm more about uh, just like individual very memorable plays and this game I feel like had a lot of them the cook to Deontay Burton long touchdown pass that was just perfectly right on the money is still one of my favorite plays of all time that Burns kick return really cemented him as just Maybe the GOAT kick returner in K-State history, having four in one season and to do it in such a critical moment like this. Um, I, I always think of it as the Shermaihuel moore game. The guy had 17 yes. tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks. Is some huge plays going down the stretch. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I can think of another linebacker performance in 2.0 that was any better than this, and that includes some of the Arthur Brown games. And then uh, I also think about it as the Duke Shelley real coming out party. I know he had gotten some playing time early in the year, but he was just shutting his guy down and they continued to test him over and over again. I think he came away with four passes deflected and quite a few more um, just nice coverage plays.
0: And you talked about Mike Moore, um, 17 stops and and none more critical than on West Virginia's final possession on a fourth down where he ends up wrapping up Skylar Howard uh, for a uh, for no gain and turning West Virginia over on downs. This this was a game if you again, if you looked at the box score, K-State. struggled, like I said, to move the ball. Deontay Burton always, and Deontay Burton is kind of starting to come into his own. He he had a touchdown catch against uh, Baylor a couple weeks back. He has a big touchdown catch in this game, has 135 yards receiving. Nice to see a kid from Manhattan High make contributions. And Deontay Burton kind of developed that reputation of the easy ones are tough, but the tough, difficult catches are the ones that he'll always find a way to make. So it was great to see him come through and make uh, make a big contribution in this game. You, you touched on it, that, that money ball that Cody cooked through to him on that deep post was a thing of beauty. And I remember, again, this is another game where Dana Holgerson is just totally befuddled at special teams having any kind of an impact. Again, this is a guy we talked about coming off the air raid tree. He was on those early Texas Tech squads, but with Mike Leach, and, and he was just so ingrained in offense, offense, offense. That's the only thing that's gonna really influence the outcome of any game is is what kind of production you get out of your offense. And West Virginia has uh, 447 yards. Skylar Howard. Uh, doesn't have a particularly good day throwing though. So K State's secondary, you talked about it. Clint Duke Shelley four pass deflections, and they they keep uh, Howard under 50% on those 42 attempts. So a nice outing for K State's defense. They put it all together, and at the end of the day, it results in a 24 to 23 Wildcat victory. So K State finds that uh, that mystical sixth win is and is bull eligible. I got to pause here before we jump into the postseason and and, kind of put a bow on this one. Um, What did you guys find most impressive with this group, the the final three games of the season? Uh,
3: I think most impressive is
0: just sticking
3: with it and coming out to play and compete and win the games. I mean... Two of those wins are against probably the easiest conference games they had all year, but they still had to go beat a you know a decent West Virginia team. I believe they were ranked twenty third when they came in, and you know not not a not a gimme win by any means, but a lot of teams lose in their first six conference games of the year are gonna phone it in and not show up to play so
1: Some of the younger guys were really starting to come on, too. I talked about Shermichael Moore, who would be back in 2016. Uh, Duke Shelley was a true freshman who was really starting to show out. Uh, Jordan Willis, who um, would go on to become one of the most dominant defensive ends uh, ever at K-State during the senior season. He had two sacks versus Iowa State, two sacks versus KU. He'd get another two against Arkansas. So six sacks in the last four games. You can really see his ascension there at the end of the season.
2: Yeah, I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but honestly, just, just the resolve in general. I mean, you know, I said it earlier, after that Tech loss, literally one more loss and it's over, you know, unless you want to take one of those five and seven bull games, which that's going to be, you know, I think a lot of people are going to have a sour taste in their mouth if we do that. Um, but, you know, it, I, it can't be overlooked that in that three-game win streak, we go on to end the year. We come back from double-digit deficits at halftime in both of those games. I mean, those are games that just simply aren't going our way earlier in the year. So, uh, yeah, to see the team obviously realize that there's still something worth fighting for at the end of the at the end of the year, and putting just enough plays together to do it—that's obviously pretty huge. And I mean, I don't think there's any question that that you know, given the quality of opponent, like that West Virginia game's is de- definitely the biggest one of the year. So. As much as I, as frustrating as Morgan Burns was as a cornerback, I mean, Clint, you hit the nail on the head. You know, he's he he's an elite company um, as a returner. And if I remember right, he ended the season with it with a special teams touchdown in like four games in a row. One of them was a block punt in Lawrence that he fell on in the end zone. But like, yeah, I mean, he just seemed to come up clutch on special teams almost every single week. None bigger than that fourth quarter touchdown. Kind of uh, poetic that our season began and ended on a Morgan Burns kick return touchdown. And uh, to to for that last one to punch us into the postseason was obviously pretty huge.
0: No doubt about it. Oh, go ahead, Alex.
3: Oh, I was uh, kind of rounding out the regular season, this West Virginia game. That uh, That's the last time we've beaten them. So hopefully that <laughs> ends this year. And we were talking about it uh off air the uh the texas tech loss is the only time they've beaten us since the uh in the post mike leach era so a couple interesting facts i i couldn't even remember they beat us because i think i put most of the season out of my head <laughs> and i was like oh we beaten tech like 10 years in a row right but no
0: uh damn near though <laughs> yeah they've uh and Again, you you guys hit all of the, everything you could possibly talk about with this group. Again, like the fact that, and as, as frustrated as I was with the coaching staff at times, trying to do the, the square peg in the round hole with with Hubner trying to make him a passer in, in instances where it didn't seem to make sense, at least again, to me, somebody who has a very intimate knowledge of the game of football and knows more about it than any offensive coordinator. Um I, I remember just thinking like, wow, this the staff for as frustrating as they've been at times, the fact that they were somehow some way able to motivate these guys to still go out like after starting 0 and 6 to still go out to still compete week in and week out was was really remarkable. And that's honestly probably the biggest feat in all this. And what it ultimately does produce for K-State is a berth in the Liberty Bowl against Brett Bielma, former defensive coordinator for Kansas State. You have to trace that back to uh, the early 2000s on those really good mob defenses uh, led by Josh Buell, Terry Pierce, Andrew Scholl. Uh, Bielma was the coordinator for some good squads here at K-State. He has since jumped around. He's gone to Wisconsin and has now moved to taking his talents to Fayetteville, where he's now head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And this is a a very respectable Arkansas squad. He's early on in his tenure at Arkansas. Uh, they've, they've dropped a couple of head scratchers. They had a four-point loss to Toledo earlier this season. They lost a tough one to Texas a by a touchdown. Uh, but really, Arkansas is in Just about every game they play in this season, and they they come into this game seven and five, but could have very easily been a nine and three, potentially even a ten and two squad. Um, they, they had a lot of breaks go their way early on, but really put things together going down the stretch with wins over Auburn, uh, win on the road at a ranked Ole Miss. They beat LSU when they were ranked ninth in the country. This was a really good Arkansas team. Uh, so I just want to set the table with that right off the bat. So K-State's going in. This, this is a squad that's, that's definitely overmatched and, uh, the Wildcats put forth uh, again, a, a very respectable showing in the Liberty bowl. Uh, The Wildcats get a pick on the uh, Razorbacks first possession. Elijah Lee undercuts a little out route. They have a very good tight end and Hunter Henry, Elijah Lee undercuts that route. Wildcats capitalize, cash it in with a touchdown a couple plays later. So things start off decently for, for Kansas state in this contest, but Arkansas uh, again, they're, they're certainly the superior team and God, if you've seen crowd shots of this game, I don't know why 50,000 people would go to watch a 7-5 and five team in a bowl game in Memphis, but man, those folks at Fayetteville showed out in a huge way because they wanted to watch that squad. Uh, Arkansas ends up getting their footing in this one. Uh, The Wildcats are up 10 to seven midway through the first quarter, but then Arkansas uh, reels off 17 straight points uh, to go ahead 24 to 14, uh, excuse me, 24 to 10. The Wildcats get down to the Razorback four right before halftime, but they're not able to get into the end zone. So they have to settle for a McCrane field goal, 24 to 13. Winston Dimmel scores on a little pop pass from Cody Cook to open things up in the third quarter. Uh, You've you, and I remember seeing Cody Cook's little dance he did after he hit this pass. I laughed my ass off, and uh, I was a little nervous though that the the, defense, the defensive guys on that Arkansas squad were going to let him know about it later on in the game. And, and Co- Cody Cook actually ends up coming out later in the contest, giving way to uh, Joe Hubner. But. Our um, Arkansas really takes control late in the fourth quarter. It's 31 to 23. The Wildcats have hung around, hung around, hung around. And, and you're kind of wondering, like, man, this is a game where Arkansas racks up four, uh 569 yards of offense. They outgain K-State by over 300 yards. But K-State's still sitting here within eight points. To start the fourth quarter, but the Razorbacks get a couple of touchdowns in that final frame, and K State uh, does not score after hitting the 23 point mark. So it results in a 45 to 23 loss uh, for the Cats. D- did you guys remember a- a- anything about? this particular contest, uh, I, I didn't take away much from this. I just remember knowing that this was a the best 7-5 and five team of all time that K-State was facing off against, and I knew we were going to be starting Cody Cook, and I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this game.
1: I just remember that I was pretty pissed off with the uh, matchup. I did not like it at all. Um, but then by the time the game was about to start, I had kind of convinced myself that we would be able to compete with them in the way that I always do. And then was quickly, uh, quickly out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the pick and the touchdown, you know, kind of set the tone early. But you knew that it was going to take a damn near flawless effort. I mean, that's you—you you kind of alluded to it. We hung around for three quarters, and then they really just kind of out athleted. I, I think I made up a word right there. You know, they just kind of like the, there was a pretty clear gap in athleticism, and uh, they it it was exploited big time down the stretch in this one. So, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely felt good with the way the game started, but you knew that that was, to be able to maintain that was going to be pretty tough.
3: Yeah, I feel like looking at the, the box score here, it felt like they just ran the ball down our throat, but then I watched the highlights, and for a team that, you know, Brett Vilma's teams aren't super efficient passing teams, they were just hitting like little... You know, little routes out of the backfield, and that broke big and stuff. But I mean, I'm kind of surprised that that to see that they threw for 315 yards against us, uh, ran for 254. That's believable because Alex Collins, you know, he pretty much ran all over us all game. So, yeah, not not a good uh, experience. Especially, you know, they they were gonna have the the home crowd pretty much, and I don't know. Kind of a
0: dud. Yeah, it, it was a, a disappointing way to end the season. And again, kind of that game was really the season in a nutshell. Really, excluding the the the, the albatross and the uh, Oklahoma game, K State competitive, really week in and week out with, with working with spare parts more often than not. And they they did the same thing in this contest and were within striking distance late. But I mean. It, Brandon Allen, to your point, Alex, wasn't even, uh, you know, this was the year Dak Prescott was first team All-SEC, followed by Chad Kelly. Uh, Alex Collins was second team All-SEC at running back. So Brandon Allen was probably one of the better passers in the league. But again, he's in in pretty... High, you know, the, the, the quarterback battles in, in the SEC that year were just absurd, obviously, for him to not even make honorable mention. So that that goes to show you how good this Arkansas team really was. They had some horses, as they did, and they end up taking that 45 to 23. So the Wildcats finish six and seven following the loss in the bowl game. Uh, so now second straight loss in the postseason for the Snyder led Wildcats and this is the first time you have to go all the way back to the 2008 season that the K-State Wildcats have finished under 500. Now we'll hit a couple of the superlatives and then we'll get out of here if you've hung around with us this long we as always we we greatly appreciate it. Um, we, we try to hit on some of the seniors who have made contributions and, and th- this you talked about it at the outset, Clint, you, you've got a lot of seniors on this offensive line and Hayes and Stiverson and Whitehair and, and L. Bryan on the defensive line. But uh, this is a group I, I think you have to commend them for what they did this season, but they, we, we were really just a, a, a very thin squad, but uh, are there any guys that you want to recognize uh, at this point for their contributions to 15?
1: Yeah, Cody Whitehair, obviously still playing in the NFL at a very high level. I wish we could have seen him at guard or center all four years. I think he uh, was definitely uh, one of the best maulers that has come through K-State. Then he gets kicked out to left tackle and does a a good job. He was still a good tackle, but not the player he could have been if he was in the right position, I think. Um, I mean, if I had to give someone an MVP – uh, for this year, that would probably be the guy.
0: Yeah, looking, uh, we'll we'll briefly hit on the the all-conference mentions, and that that K-State's pretty uh, lean in the mentions here. Um, so. Special Teams Player of the Year does go to Morgan Burns. We talked about it, his, his contributions on that side of the ball. Really invaluable for this K-State team. Kept the Wildcats in a lot of games and old, and, and helped decide a couple of games as well, as we touched on. Uh, Winston Demmel as a freshman coming in, getting first-team All-Big 12 recognition at the fullback position. Uh, so back-to-back years now. Glenn Gronkowski, the season prior, was first-team All-Big 12 at fullback and now you served by Winston Dimmel. Also on the first team on offensive line, you just touched on it, uh the aforementioned Cody Whitehair, future Chicago Bear. And then additionally, Jack Cantelli ends up being first team all Big 12 at place kicker. And then as we touched on uh, Morgan Burns on the kick returner front uh, defensively, nobody on the first team for Kansas State on the second team. However, we do see Travis Brits, another senior out of Harrisonville, Missouri, uh, a guy who, again, w- w- K-State's always found a way to, to plug guys into that defensive line and find ways to help them and to make them productive. And Brits was definitely one of those guys. We saw him making contributions very early. He was getting snaps. If you go, you can trace it all the way back to 2012 when he was a freshman on that great defensive unit that featured, again, the likes of Arthur Brown, Justin Tuggle, uh, Nigel Malone, Ty Zimmerman, all those guys. Uh, Travis Brits was still getting into the rotation on on the defensive line in that point in his career. So it was nice to see him be recognized on the second team. Elijah Lee, uh, his first year as a starter, he ends up leading the team in tackles this season. Second team at linebacker as a sophomore. And if you look down the list here on the honorable mention front, um, Will Gary on defensive line will obviously come to appreciate him a little bit later on. Uh, Matthew McCrane as well. I don't know if we've already passed talking about uh, seniors,
1: but uh, talk about Cody Cook a little bit more for sure. Go for it. Go for it. All right, so definitely Cody Cook. Um, you know, he had to spend a lot of time at quarterback, which uh, I, he, he did a good job in some games, and some games he looked like he probably wasn't a Division one quarterback. Makes sense. He was a walk-on. Um, and then he moved over to receiver. But, man, I think if he would have spent – his full time at receiver and he could have maybe had another year with, um, with a more passing quarterback. Then I think he could have put up some pretty good numbers. He had very good hands. He knew how to get open. Um, the fact that he didn't have himself to throw to when he was a uh, quarterback probably hurt him more than anything.
0: Yeah, definitely tough. Uh, again, we're still very much at the early stages of the car- careers of uh, Deontay Burton of Dominique. Keith. Uh, and the like uh, and, and the receiver room's been pretty thin at k state for a minute now and uh, i I'll, I'll, I'll look to kind of book in this one w- with a broader question but where where do you guys feel that this team ranks uh, of the 10 squads that snyder coached in 20 where where do you place this one um i i almost think despite the fact that the uh, the o9 team could have you know, won a division could have, you know, competed for a big 12 title. I think this one has to be a tick above that and, and maybe even a tick above 2010, but I wanted to see where you guys felt this group ranked.
2: Yeah. I mean, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth you know, it would, it, it, it's definitely above the O nine team. If for no other reason that you've got, you know, a group of Snyder got like it, it, there, there's no transcending for, or there's no, uh, uh, transitioning from one coaching staff to another anymore with this, you know, you've got a bunch of guys who have actually been in Bill Snyder's system the entire time. Um, and I would definitely put it, you know, a leg above, you know, what would be Bill's final team in 2018. So if you're looking at, you know, top to bottom, how do you rank those 10 teams? I guess that would put them at, uh, I guess that would put them at eight above Oh nine. And then 2018.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it was definitely infinitely more fun than 2018, outside of that Oklahoma game at least. Um, but talent level, I'd probably write about those all those teams that you mentioned.
3: Yeah, I'd say, you know, maybe on par with that 2010 team, but I think just that uh, 2010 team having Daniel Thomas and, you know, kind of, Being a little bit more consistent of a team uh, helps put them over the 2015 squad, but
1: consistent on offense,
3: but not on defense at all. Well, yes. yes.
2: If you guys have heard me doing a lot of clicking in the last couple minutes, I just saw, I thought of something and I needed to see it to believe it. This year was actually Bill's last 3 0 start as a head coach, which seems super bizarre, but K State actually has a whole. Has started three and zero precisely one time since this season. Jeez.
3: Well, you got Stanford in sixteen, Vanderbilt the next year, I believe, God. and then Mississippi State.
1: <laughs> Man, you say Vanderbilt like that should be a game that we would ever lose. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one
0: uh, at length. Uh, before, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just very quickly toss in my two cents here. I, I think this this group is. Above 09, just because it, this team is a, a little bit is more competitive as as much as we talked about all the defic- deficiencies it had. It, it's a lot more well-rounded than 09 uh, on both sides of the ball, despite having probably less than stellar weapons. You certainly didn't have the benefit of a Daniel Thomas like 09 did. But this group, I think, is a little bit better on both sides of the ball. Uh, and i think it has to go a tick above the 2018 squad as well uh just uh, you guys already hit on it that that team was so erratic just all over the board you never knew what kind of an effort you were going to see week in and week out so I, i i i say this group ranks eighth uh overall in terms of the snyder squad i would say the 2010 team has to be above it um just by virtue of having excuse me better wins on the resume. You think about the uh, 2010 team beating UCLA, beating UCF, uh, finishing the year out seven and six, so better in the win-loss category. So that's that's where it falls for me. Um, Now, I think this is as good a time as any to kind of book in this one and wrap up and, and look forward to the 2016 squad. Thank you guys again. Or for listening to us, please do give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. And you'll find all of our individual Twitter handle handles linked out on that page. Uh, we'll be putting out an episode every week leading up to the 2021 season. So very much looking forward to diving into 2016 during next week's show. Now, with that said, we'll wrap it up as we always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know.